0: Now, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the lead pastor of New Life Downtown, <laughs> Jason Jackson. That's good. That's good. Appreciate it. Thank you, New Life Downtown. Thank you, Pachyums and staff and everyone. I love Jesus. I love the church. And I love you guys. It is is good to be home after a, a couple months of sabbatical. It is really good to be home and to be with you. There's a Greek philosopher who said, change is the only constant thing in life change is the only constant thing in life. He was debated vigorously by James Earl Jones in his iconic role as Terrence Mann in Field of Dreams, who said instead that change is the only constant thing in life. He says, the one constant through all the years has been baseball. I kind of like James Earl Jones' take on the whole thing. Uh, he's got a little bit of a historical and geographic problem, you know, in that, in that argument. I don't think the Brits agree that baseball has been the one constant through the years. Some game called cricket they play over the years. I don't know what that is. So we're going to stick with the Greeks this morning and recognize that change happens. Some are the kinds of changes that we choose. Some are the changes that are chosen uh, by others. Some are changes that are chosen for us by others. And Others is the kind of change that just happens. Some change is welcomed. We greet it with open arms, with excitement, with anticipation about all of the nascent possibilities that lie in the future. And other change is grieved as we experience loss. And that loss is compounded by hurt or disappointment by anxiety, maybe by other things that we're experiencing in our life in other areas, or maybe by the things that we have experienced in the past, but most change is mixed. We belly laugh and we cry. We share dreams and we harbor or hold our regrets. And then we share our hopes and our fears. They're all kind of mixed together there in every moment as we walk through those transitions. But in every transition, there's also an opportunity. One of the opportunities is the opportunity for reflection. Change beckons us to consider who we are and who we're becoming. It asks us to look around and to look ahead, but also to look back and to remember. To remember the roots that ground us even as we move forward. Even in those great sort of moments of historical change in history, the Renaissance and the Reformation, there was a going back. The Latin phrase ad fontes, back to the sources, which is different than going to the mattresses. For those of you Godfather fans or You've Got male fans, just got that. The rest of you, how have you not seen You've Got Mail? Again, at this point along the way, it's your entryway into the Godfather. You don't need to watch the Godfather after that. There's an opportunity to reflect, to go to the sources, to remember. They believed in those great moments that were guided into the future by returning to what was good and true in the past. And each week, actually, as the church, this is what we do. We return to the source, to remember who God is and to remember who we are in him. Even in a moment of change, in a moment of transition, we come back to the source. We open the word, and we come to the table. We read the scriptures, and we receive the sacraments. Why? As a way of grounding us and orienting us as we step into the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. And so we're going to do the very same thing today that we do every week. Come to the table through the text. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to a local church community in Ephesus in modern day Turkey, and he writes this. He says, When he came, when Jesus came, he announced the good news, the peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. He's referring to Jews and to Gentiles here. We now both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer. Strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens, co citizens with the saints, with God's people, and members of God's household. You belong to God's household. There is a deep longing inside of all of us as humans to be a part, to belong to find our place and to find our people. We seem to be constantly on the lookout for community and connection. And until we find it, we feel restless. And we even remain nomadic, sort of moving from one place to the next, looking for the thing that seems to be so elusive to find at times. And we'll even go so far as we'll just try to manufacture it in whatever way that we can. We'll try to wheel it into existence, or we'll even settle for really superficial connections. I was, uh, this last week, spent a lot of time at baseball games and got a chance to go last Wednesday night to Dodger Stadium. And joined 53,000 fans for a midweek game. It was crazy. It was one of the best baseball experiences I've ever been a part of. And in that midst of 53,000 fans, as the Dodgers played my hometown Minnesota Twins, there were 300 Twins fans. And we found each other. (laughs) And we looked at each other. We nodded. And we felt a sense of community and belonging in that sea of blue Like, I'm I'm not anything we've ever felt at a Dodgers game before. (laughs) We're just trying to find someone. Oh, there's someone that's like me. There's someone that's in the same boat that I am and in. Paul, in addressing this new Christian community of Jews and Gentiles, two groups of people who were at odds with one another throughout their history, two groups of people that have been enemies and now have been brought together because of Jesus. He tells both groups, he says, you guys have been brought close you have been given access. You have been granted citizenship. You have been made members. You now belong to God. And because you belong to God, you now belong to one another. One thing that's true about the church in every season of its existence, in every way and shape and form, is the church belongs to God and belongs to each other. That doesn't change. The church belongs to God and belongs to each other. And the church is not something that we make. The church is something that we're made into. The one spirit of God makes the one church in the world and the one spirit of God makes that church one. He brings us together and binds us together in the midst of his holy love. And our task as a church is to live into and out of who we already are in Jesus. Our task is to learn how to live as members of God's household with one another, to become who we already are in the spirit. This is the unchanging reality of the church. Friends, you belong. You belong to God and you belong to each other. You can look around and stare at the people next to you, and maybe they're not the people you thought you were going to belong to. They're wearing cubs jerseys, maybe, or something. <laughs> but you belong to God, and you belong to one another, and we are so honored to belong with you. There's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He then goes on and says this. He says, It's God's household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself. As the cornerstone. Here is one of those many occasions in Paul's letter where he begins to mix or shift metaphors. This happens to Paul a lot. I think it's sort of a vocational standard for pastors. We start telling, telling one story, then we slip into another. We start with one image and go to another. There's something that happens for all of us when we're trying to take our limited language and wrap it around the unlimited God. That we start talking in one way and they're like, well, actually, it's like this. Oh, no, but it's also like this. And then we go here. And Paul does this throughout his whole letters. He's shifting metaphors. He begins by saying that we're members of the household. And now he says, we're the walls of the house. We are both the inhabitants and the infrastructure. We're parts of both. On two different occasions, I bought a house in Tulsa and in any sort of house buying process, there's the anxiety over, is the, is our offer going to get accepted? And then there's the second anxiety over the home inspection. You know, for here, the standard anxiety is typically about whether or not the offer is going to get accepted and maybe about radon. But in Tulsa, almost every house sort of inspection, the big concern is about the foundation. Oklahoma is all red clay dirt. There's no basements, despite the fact that it's right in the middle of Tornado Alley. I'm sorry, Sophia. There's nowhere to run. <laughs> well, you have this red dirt, and then you've got all these earthquakes that are happening all over the state. And so the big concern about the house is the foundation, because nobody wants to live in a place that's not built on a solid foundation. Well, the good news that Paul brings to us as the church is that the church is set on a sure foundation. Yeah. The church is set on a sure foundation. In the Greek language there is he's using a word that says, the church is built on something that's already been built. The church rests on a foundation that is already firmly established. He said that that foundation was actually the apostles, the early followers of Jesus who gave us the New Testament, and the prophets referring to all of those who came before them and wrote and collected the Old Testament. This foundation that we set on is thousands of years old. It goes from Abraham and Sarah all the way through Paul. And on that foundation, the walls are being built by the Spirit. Stone after stone, brick after brick, layer upon layer, generations of faithful witness being built on top of the solid and firm foundation going on throughout the globe and throughout history, even in our own city. We are a church among churches. And there's a church that has been here for 150 years giving faithful witness. Thank you, First Press, for what you've done in this city and that we get to be a part of faithful witness here. Even ourselves, we're part of the history of New Life Church going back 30 years, 10 years of our own sort of being built together at New Life Downtown. We are not the first, we are not the last, we are not alone. We're a rock in the next layer of the story that God is telling, of the church that God is building. Amen? And what a joy to be a part of that. In the ancient Near East, whenever they were going to build a building, especially a building of any magnitude, the most important thing for them to find was the cornerstone. To find the cornerstone that matched the purpose of the building. Because it was the cornerstone that was then set, that, all of the, that sort of held the foundation together it set the location of the building, it set the size and the direction of the walls, it determined the building's size and in many ways its purpose, what it could be used for. And Paul says that in the midst of this foundation, Jesus himself is the cornerstone that we're all built upon. And Jesus and Jesus alone has always been the cornerstone of the church. Jesus and Jesus alone has always been the foundation. And even as Glenn said earlier, he's the, not just the cornerstone, but also the capstone. The first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who is actually the true constant in the universe is Jesus himself. And we are being built upon him. Isaiah puts it this way. It says, therefore, the Lord God says, look, I'm laying in Zion a stone. What kind stone? someone that's been tested? found to be true, a valuable cornerstone, a sure foundation. And the one who trusts in it, the one who trusts in him, will not tremble. We are set on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and all who faithfully come before him and we are being built into the church by the spirit. But we sit on the one we can trust, the one who's proven, the one who will last, Jesus the one who is the constant in the midst of all of the changes that we experience in our lives and in this world. Paul concludes this section saying this. He says, the whole building in him is joined together in him and it grows up into a temple, a building that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you, church, into a place where God lives through the Spirit. Christ is building you, church, Christ is building you a new life downtown into a place where God lives through the spirit. And for the ancient Jew, the temple, was, of course, the very center of the universe, it's the place where heaven and earth overlapped or God dwelt with his people. So it became the center of their lives. The place of pilgrimage, of worship, of celebration, of identity, of mission, of so much more remains so even to this day. Glenn mentioned uh, in his previous sermon that we got a chance to go to Israel together this summer. And there's something about going to Israel and making that journey up to Jerusalem and then coming down to the temple wall. Especially if you get a chance to ever go on Sabbath. On Friday night, as the sun is setting and generation after generation are swarming down these old stone streets and coming into the temple square. Families carrying strollers, families carrying people in wheelchairs, those in walkers, those who are being held by their parents, young and old, rich and poor, married and single, all coming together to that place To dance and to sing and to be together, to place their trust and their faith once again in God's presence among them. And God, and Paul here makes this audacious claim that Jesus is building the church into a temple, that the church has become the place where the Spirit dwells. The church is the home of the Holy Spirit. This does not change. The church is the home of the Holy Spirit. We are the people among whom the Holy Spirit lives and moves. In other words, the good news is we already have the most important thing that we need for our life together as a family. We have the Spirit of God in our midst, but he does not dwell among us just for us. The temple did not just consist of walls to sort of Uh, hedge in all of those who are part of the people of God. It It consisted of magnificent towering and beautiful gates to grant access to all of those who would draw near, to beckon the nations to come into his presence, to beckon all to come and find God. Our life together as the church is God's means for offering his life to the world. We are the home of the Holy Spirit and God's means of offering his life to the world. To be a home for the spirit. The spirit who woos, who welcomes, who saves, who heals, who redeems, who restores, who teaches, who guides, who disciples, who empowers, who loves. To be a home for that spirit means to be a home for each other and to be a home for others. To be a home for those who do not yet know Jesus or those who are not sure what to do with Jesus. It's to be a home for those who doubt, to be a home for the disenchanted and the deconstructing and those who are reconstructing after a painful experience. It's to be a home for newborns and newlyweds and new believers and those who are new to the city. It's to be a home for the married and the single, the child and the teenager, the sick, the aging, the dying, the home builder and the unhoused, missionaries who are in training or on furlough or in the field, military families, especially as they walk through deployment, educators and first responders, refugees and kids in foster care. It's to be a home for them all. And that is still our call as the church to be the place where the spirit of God dwells, that Jesus might invite our city to come and encounter his living and loving presence. To be the church is to welcome the spirit into our midst and to welcome others into his presence. The Greeks claim that the only only thing that is constant is change. But we know the one true constant in the world is the love, grace, mercy, and truth that is revealed in who Jesus Christ is. And so we put our faith and the faithful one.